Well, good morning. Ah, those guys messed me up with that baptism stuff. <laughs> Jerks. I, I, I love it. <laughs> I've been uh, a little worn out lately. You ever just get worn out sometimes? And just seeing like these mighty men of God give their lives over to the Lord. It, it's, ah, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. So thank you. What a, what a blast, right? What a blast to be together and celebrate together and uh, just celebrate what God does in people's lives. I love it. Uh, we're in a series, we're actually going to finish a series this weekend called Married with Benefits, and uh, it's the end of a, of a long conversation. So this conversation started weeks ago. We really spent the spring uh, talking about relationships and, and uh, particularly marriage and dating, and uh, what we did was we started just with this reality that if you're a, in a high school student or college student or single, when, when you think about marriage, uh, you probably don't think about it in a positive light in, in many ways. Uh, because when you think about marriage, you think about divorce. And so you think about marriages that are broken up and families that have been broken apart. And so the question has really become like, why would I do that, right? Why would I do that? Why would I go through that? Why would God want me to do that? And so we started that conversation and we just said, well, what if we approached it differently? If we dated differently, if we set down a different foundation and moved forward differently, invited God in in a different way, came to the, the, the marriage altar in a different way, could we have a different outcome? And talked about that for quite a while. And then last weekend we talked about what marriage is and isn't. And we said marriage is actually not a partnership uh, marriage is a promise, right? And if we view it as a partnership, then we, we approach marriage problems the way that we approach business problems. We view the relationship in a contractual way, so we bring contractual solutions to it, which aren't going to work. But if we bring it, if we think of it in a promise way, then we bring promise solutions to it, spiritual solutions to it, and that's really the key to it. So all of that is out online. I encourage you guys, if you're dating, single, if you've been married a long time or just a little bit, uh, all of it's incredibly helpful. And uh, if you go to bath.graceohio.org, uh, the first series is called It's a Match. This is called Married with, Married with Benefits. And you can read all that and listen to it. We dug really deep into different parts of the Bible. And uh, so you can uh, get all that as well. And I think you'll find it very, very helpful. Uh, as we uh, get to the end of the conversation here this weekend, uh, I want to I make sure that we take time and talk about what if, I, what if I have a rocky marriage or a difficult marriage? So we've talked about it a lot. We've talked kind of around it a lot, and we've used the divorce word a bunch because it's what like, all of us are trying to avoid. But I want to kind of talk about that, the elephant in the room, which is divorce. I want to talk about, well, these are great principles, but it's so late for us. We're really in this bad place, or I've been through a divorce, is God still mad at me, like all those kind of things. And I wanna just kind of put all that on the table and kind of wrap up our conversation that way. If you are single or dating, this is more kind of preemptive stuff for you. Uh, so this will help you uh, have a, a healthy relationship. Uh, if you are in a healthy relationship, a marriage relationship now, this is good principles to, to walk this stuff through. And if you're in a difficult place and you're kind of on the rocks and not sure what to do, I think this stuff will be very, very helpful for you, okay? So we're going we're gonna, to uh, talk about it, talk about it kind of thoroughly and bluntly, 
and put it out there, see what God has to say, and then uh, walk through that together, okay? So if you got your notes, you can grab them. Uh, they're in your program. I just put together seven steps, right? So uh, seven steps you can take when you're working on a difficult marriage that I think will be helpful for you, and uh, we'll just dive into it and walk you through it. So what do you what do? You do? Uh, if you're in a bad place, a difficult place, uh, this is what you can do. Now, here's the good news. If you're not in a bad place, a difficult place in your marriage, you will be. <laughs> so congratulations, right? So that it's going to happen, and, and the reason that that's going to happen is because you married a human being, all right? And if you married a human being, you're going to run into difficult times because what human beings do best is we sin against each other. That's what comes most naturally for us. So if you come across a hard time in your marriage, there's nothing wrong with you. There's not even really anything wrong with your marriage. Uh, it's a normal thing. It, you're going to come across hard times with your friends. You're going to come across a hard time with your roommate. You're going to come across a hard time with your boss because human beings have to work stuff out. So there's nothing abnormal or unusual. So how you navigate it becomes a really, really big deal, and it can become the difference between making it or not making it. All right, and so I want to give you those steps and help you out with it, okay? So let's dive in. Number one, this is in your notes on the app. If you don't have uh, of your, uh, your notes, if you're uh, watching live online, you can use the app if you want. Everything is right there. So first one is this. If I come across a hard time in my marriage, the first thing I need to do is lean into the promise, not the contract. Lean into the promise, not the contract. Now, that, this point, there's a whole discussion about that called last week's conversation that you can watch online, and it's a big deal. But I want to I start with it again because it's the premise for everything. Marriage is not a partnership. Marriage is a promise, and we have to remember that or we approach it wrong. So when I come across a, a rocky time, I have to lean into the promise, not the partnership. It's not a business deal. It's a spiritual relationship and I make my commitment primarily to God not to my spouse let me show you this if you got your Bibles open up to the book of Malachi Malachi and if you got Bibles there in the chairs it's page 670 in those Bibles or it's on the uh, the app there Malachi if you don't know where Malachi is find the book of Matthew and turn like two pages to the left and you'll find Malachi it's the last book of the Old Testament now let me tee this up for you a little bit. So Malachi is a, is a guy's name, and so the, the prophet Malachi. And uh, what happened was Israel, God's chosen people, were rebelling against God, and so God would send prophets, and that's a big chunk of the Old Testament. He would send prophets to tell them what was going on and to tell them how to get back in right relationship with God. So God had this uh, agreement, so to say, with the uh, with the Israelites, we call them, the Bible calls them a covenant, or we would use the word promise, and the promise was this. If, if Israel would honor God and follow God and worship God only, then God would bless them, help them, and empower them. That was the promise, and that was the covenant or the promise that God made with Israel. The whole Old Testament is Israel keeping that covenant and breaking that covenant, keeping that covenant and breaking that covenant. And God loved them so much that when they broke it, he would send a prophet, tell them how they were breaking it and how to return to them. So Malachi is that. Malachi is God addressing the broken promises of Israel, telling them how to get back in touch with him again. And in Malachi, one of the promises that Israel was breaking was their marriage vows, their marriage covenant. And so Malachi is pointing that out 
and helping them to, uh, to understand it. Verse 13, Malachi says, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears, you weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with, with pleasure from your hands. You're doing religious activity, God's not blessing you. Why, you ask, it's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the, the one God made you? You belong to him in body and in spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard. Do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. So God is looking at the Israelites and saying, you, you ask me why I'm not blessing you? It's because you're not honoring your marriage promise. That's why I'm not blessing you. That's the deal. And Peter picks up on this idea later on in the New Testament. Uh, he talks specifically to men, and he says, men, if you do not live in an understanding way with your wife, God won't hear your prayers anymore. Now, why is that? Why, why if I am not loving my wife properly, and then you can reverse it, I'm not loving my husband properly, why would that bug God? Because my wife and I have this deal. I can see why she would be mad. Why would God be upset with me? Why would God be upset with her? Why does my marriage affect my relationship with God? And we talked about this in detail last week, but here's the biggest summary. It's this, because the father of the bride is the Lord. The father of the groom is the Lord. When you stand at the marriage altar and you make a covenant or a promise with each other, the primary person that you are making that promise with is God. The secondary person is your spouse. So when I am not honoring my promise to my spouse, I am not honoring my promise to God and he's the one that's offended. And God would look and say, right, Marriage, marriage is not primarily a legal interaction. It's not primarily even a relational interaction. Marriage at its core is primarily a spiritual relationship that God empowers and God ordains. That's why I, I know that we go and like get a marriage license from the state of Ohio. That's for tax purposes and for joint ownership of children, things like that, right? That's what that's for. That is not what marriage is. That's why it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what the government says marriage is or isn't. It's only what God says because marriage is spiritual. It's not a legal arrangement. Now, that's a big deal. When I come then against rocky times, if I don't bring spiritual solutions to my spiritual relationship, they're not going to work. So this is where it's not a partnership. Me negotiating a piece, me looking and saying, well, you're supposed to do X, Y, Z, and I do A, B, C, and I did A, B, C, and you only did X and Y, therefore, it's never gonna work. But if I come in and I say, we have a promise, how can I love you, how can I serve you, how can, I, how can we mutually submit to each other, the conversation changes. So when we come across difficult times in our relationship, the very first thing we do and need to do is we need to invite Christ back into the center point of that relationship. 
And if I'm not inviting Christ in, if we're not turning to God's word, if we're not turning to prayer, if we're not getting godly counsel, you're not going to make it. There's, there's no way that's going to work because it's a spiritual relationship. And I go to my knees, I go to the word of God, I go to God for help, and now I'm on the right track to finding real solutions to my actual problems, okay? So first principle, big one, that's why I kind of camped on it for a second there. It's a big deal. I, I lean into the promise, I don't lean into the contract because I'm dealing with a spiritual relationship that takes spiritual answers to make headway with, okay? Now, the, the next three things I wanna give you on your list of seven are all about doing that, okay? So what, what would I start doing spiritually if I was leaning into the promise, not the contract, okay? So here's, the, here's number two. Number two, spiritually, I'm gonna start by looking at myself. When I'm having a rocky time, we're having a difficult time in our marriage, I'm gonna look at myself first. James 1 says this, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Otherwise, you are deceiving yourselves. For anyone who hears the word but does not carry it out is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after observing himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and continues to do so, not being a forgetful hearer but an effective doer, he will be blessed in what he does. When I'm having a hard time with my spouse, the scripture would say, I lean into the promise, I lean into my relationship with God, and in my relationship with God, the first thing I do is I look at God's word. God's word is not an accuser, God's word is a reflector. And I look at God's word and I say, what, what is it about me that needs to change? Am I loving my husband, loving my wife? Am I serving her? Am I putting her interest above my own? Am I submitting to her and, and, or to him? Am I being who God has called me to be? And oftentimes in our marriage tension, I might find the solution when God corrects me. Now this is what happens. When we're mad, right? Me too, because I, I married a sinner. Oh man, right? When we're mad, and Heidi married a jerk, right? When we're mad, when I'm mad, this is my thought process. It's yours too, so don't look, don't judge me, right? It's yours too. Here it is. My thought process is, is this. If she would knock it off, I wouldn't be this way. If she would get her act together, if she would stop doing that, and then I'll even pray about it. Lord, your word says that she's supposed to do X, Y, Z. So Lord, change her, correct her, and it, if you gotta take her out, take her out. It's okay, <laughs> I'll get over it, right? That, that's, how, that's how we think. And here's the problem. That's thinking like a contract. She violated the terms, I'm breaking up the partnership. That's a business principle, it's not a marriage principle. When I'm dealing with the promise, I'm gonna deal with it spiritually first, and the first question spiritually, when there is a relational breakdown, by the way, this is friends, roommates, fill in the blank. The first question is, Lord, am I in sin? Do you need to change me? Do I need to humble myself? Is there a way that I could love or serve better? 
and I first look at myself because I want to be a doer of the word. So Lord, show me what to do. And is that step one to bringing correction and help to the difficult relationship, okay? So there it is, number two. Here's number three. Number three is this, and this is just a practical thing here. When I am in a a tough point in my relationship, we need to overtly communicate with each other. Overtly communicate with each other. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You ever want to know where you're at spiritually? Just listen to what you say. Your mouth will give you away every time. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, when we're in a rocky relationship, here's the deal. We don't need to have a meeting of the minds. That's how you do a business deal. We need to have a connection of the heart. And in order for human beings to connect our hearts to each other, we have to communicate with each other. And when I say communicate, what I mean is respectfully, gently, and honestly. We need to say what we mean, and we need to mean what we say. And we need to overtly, we need to put it on the table and say what's actually on our hearts. Now, in order to do that and to connect each other's hearts, this is what it means. It means that in our communication, there is absolutely zero manipulation, zero control, zero passive aggression, zero deceit. And I guarantee you, if you're at a rocky place in your relationship, those things are coming into play. And what happens is you sit down and communicate, and it it starts in. Well, let me tell you the five things that are wrong with you. And you better knock it off. And the person with the loudest voice and the quickest tongue winds up controlling the relationship, right? If you can think quick and speak well in public, you're a miserable spouse to fight with, right? I'm miserable to fight with because I can talk circles around you and by the time we're done, it's your fault and you owe me money, (laughs) right? It's miserable. That's manipulation. And you will not connect with someone's heart, right? And then there's, there's, uh, that's control. Then there's manipulation. Manipulation is the tears, and uh, honey, let's really talk. You always, you're so mean, and my dad, and the dog's dad, and I can't believe it. And that's manipulation. Now all of a sudden, there's this, there's this avalanche of emotions. We're not talking. It turned into accusations, and every time I say something, you're hurt and offended by it. How do you ever connect to someone's heart? There's passive aggression. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Done. Done right? Listen, that is remarkably similar to junior high. It's it's foolishness. And there has to be a desire, if I want to love you, and that's the premise of marriage, two people who want to love. If I want to love and I want to know, we have to communicate. And we have to communicate in a mature way, in a gentle way, in a selfless way. Sweetie, listen, when you, when you were talking to your friend on Facebook from high school, that guy, it triggered all of my insecurities. I need you not to do that. 
but we're just friends. I know I have to really fight to believe that because of my insecurities. Can, can we not? Honey, listen, when you're, when you're working 80 hours a week and I'm at home alone with the three kids, I feel abandoned. And it feels like when my dad walked out. It feels just like that. Well, I'm trying to make a living for us. I, I understand I, I, you're not being a jerk. I'm just letting you know that the, the bigger house isn't worth that to me. See? Now all of a sudden we're sharing our hearts. Now all of a sudden we're helping each other know how to love each other. And when you're in a rocky place, that communication has to start to happen or there's no way to navigate out. If we start making deals and you better stop in it in accusations. What, we're not leaning into the promise. We're not inviting God into the, into the middle of it. When we start going after each other's hearts, now that's a new conversation. And we're able to kind of get to the root and really work through things, okay? So I'm going to lean into the promise. That's the first thing I'm going to do. We're, we're going to overtly communicate. We're going to land on those things. I'm going to look at myself. I'm owning things. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with my own issues. All right, and we're working on these difficult times. Here's the fourth thing. This is a big one. Fourth thing is this. When I'm at a rocky place in my relationships, we need to seek outside counsel. We need to seek outside counsel. We need to get other people involved, all right? And I'm not talking about your mom. <laughs> well, my mom agrees with me. Of course she does, <laughs> right? It, uh, uh, by the way, that didn't help at all, right? And I'm not talking about your buddies. Well, Jim, he thinks you're a diphthong too. That didn't help at all, right? And way to throw Jim under the bus, right? That doesn't help at all. When I talk about outside counsel, I'm talking about godly, mature, objective counsel. And this is what the Bible, how the Bible kind of define counselors. Proverbs 15, 22, with wise counsel plans, uh, without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Let me rabbit trail for a second. Everybody married or not, this is a huge, great biblical principle. Get a multitude of counselors. Get two or three godly people who will direct you to God's word and bring an objective uh, voice and an objective view to who you are and what you're doing. I, I try to lead the church this way. I will lean into godly men and women. I will lean into people who have expertise in certain ways, lean into the elders, and it creates wisdom and moves forward. When you're making a life decision, when you're moving forward, get godly counsel, okay? Now back to marriage. This is a huge principle in marriage. It's massive. There is godly counsel that helps you to inform and gives you wisdom with your relationships. Why? Because when you are upset with each other, you, when you're mad, when you're hurt, when you're scared, you should never, ever, 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 ever trust your emotions. Your emotions lie to you. If you were going to write something down, you should write that down. If you were going to get a tattoo this afternoon, you should have that tattooed, like on your face. Like, your emotions lie to you. They should not be trusted. The, the, the thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just trust my heart. Don't trust your heart. 
I'm going to go with my gut. Don't go with your gut, especially your gut. Don't go with your gut, right? What governs us is the Word of God. The Word of God tells us truth. So when I am upset, I am blind. Me, I am too. And this is where I bring in outside help. Listen, this is how I feel. This is where I think I'm so mad. By the way, that's all legit. But don't trust it. Can you help me think through? Am I thinking correctly? What does God's word say? Guys, listen, if you're at a point in your relationship and, and divorce is on the table, and you're saying, oh, maybe we should end it, maybe we should be done, if you have not talked to a life group leader, if you've not talked to a pastor, if you have not sought any kind of Christian counselor, you ha- there, there's no reason you should be talking divorce. Zero. If you, have, if, you have, if you have not yet brought in godly counsel, then there's no reason that that should be on the table. Now you can look and say, we cannot work this out right. Godly counsel will help with that. But you're processing through this. And way before we land on divorce, we, we need to be looking and saying, what does God's word say and can somebody else help me through this. Your life group leader, a godly friend who has a God, a Christ-centered marriage, a conversation with a pastor that can take you to God's word. And then sometimes you need a wise, godly Christian counselor because sometimes the issues are complex. Your childhood affects your marriage. Your wounds affect your marriage. And those things get very complicated. And we need to sit down and we need to process through those things. So this is a big one. When, when we're rocky and when we're stuck and when we're about done, we need to get outside counsel to come in and to help us think through. Not a bunch of people's opinion on Twitter. A few people that we trust and we know loves the Lord that can bring some perspective to our life. Now, here's number five. This is a, this is a huge one. Number five, when things are rocky and bad, I need to draw boundaries. I need to draw boundaries. Flip over to your Bible to the right to uh, Matthew chapter 19. And this is Jesus' big statement on divorce, one of his big statements on divorce. And this is a passage, if you're a Bible person, you've thought this through a thousand times. If you've gone through a divorce and you're a part of the church, you've wondered where you stand with God. Okay, so I want to I lay this out for you. What, is, what does God think about divorce? What does he say and not say? And let's, let's look at this. So we're going to look at this, and then we're going to push it, push it into the rest of the Bible and see what the Bible has to say, okay? Verse 3, chapter 19, Matthew. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery, right? 
big passage out there a bunch gets confusing what did jesus mean and what is he saying in the ancient world in the first century when jesus was uh, saying this he was talking to pharisees and pharisees were jewish scholars jewish leaders ancient jewish leaders and scholars and in the ancient jewish world there were two schools of thought on divorce one school of thought was you divorce your wife for any and every reason the other school of thought was you only divorce when the promise of marriage is broken and i'll call it mocked or abused okay so they were coming and asking this question they're trying to trick him which one is it and are you allowed to divorce your wife for any other, anything you want to divorce your wife for now the reason that school of thought had come into play was because of how women were viewed in the ancient world. In the ancient world, women were property and they were used as commodities. So a man would marry a woman. You might get your wife because you traded two goats and your best camel for her, right? And literally, they were used that way. They were used as peace treaties. That's why a king would have a bunch of wives because they were used as peace treaties. They were property. And so the school of thought was this. I got this woman. I'm stuck with her. Am I allowed to get out of this? And one school of thought was, yeah, you want to divorce her, divorce her. If you don't like her, if you don't love her, if you don't like the way she cooks and cleans and sweeps your tent out, then uh, get rid of her and you can divorce her. And the thought was, she's just property. Do whatever you want with her. She doesn't make me happy. We were too young when we got married. I met somebody else. Just divorce her. And, and the, the Pharisees are asking Jesus, is that correct? And the problem was this. In the ancient world, when you were a woman, the only economic and social stability you had was your father and then your husband. So if these women were divorced, they were thrown out into the streets. At a minimum, they lived in poverty. Maybe somebody else married them, and it can go all the way to my children are destitute and I'm a, I'm a slave or I'm a prostitute, right? Because when the relationship broke, there was no economic recourse. So are they allowed to ha is that allowed to happen? Because the man is unpleased. Jesus comes in when he answers this question and he says, no, no. Uh, that is not what marriage is. Uh, marriage is not an exchange of property. It's not a contract. It's not a legal arrangement that if you don't like it, you break it like you do a business deal. It's a covenant it's a promise between you and that woman and more importantly the two of you and me that's what marriage is and that's reaffirmed all through the new testament this is what marriage is that's why later on when the apostle peter and the apostle paul are talking about marriage and they're saying things like in christ there is no male female we're all equals in christ we're of equal value and equal dignity it shocked the men they'd never heard this before it it, it would be like going to a, a member of isis and saying that about a woman it totally unraveled the way that they thought because you do not treat your wife in this manner. Jesus says no. Then they say, well, Moses permitted divorce. And Jesus said, right. Divorce is permitted, but only because your hearts are hard. Divorce is permitted when you take what Jesus said, you push it back into Moses and you take what Jesus said and you push it forward into the Apostle Paul. What he is saying is this. Divorce is permitted when sin is dominating the relationship. 
when the covenant is broken and it's broken habitually, when the covenant of God is mocked, now the divorce conversation can come to the table. It's this idea. When someone is habitually living in sin, they're habitually having affairs, they're habitually using pornography, they're habitually abusing the marriage covenant. There is no place in the Bible that says that as a spouse, you are to enable or absorb the habitual abuse that can come through the marriage relationship. There's no license in the scripture where a husband or a wife, because you can flip it around now, a husband or a wife can look at the other one and say, I'm, I know that I'm cheating on you. I know that I'm doing this. I know that I'm never home. I know that I run away. I know I live a duplicitous life, but you're a Christian and you have to stay in this relationship. That is nowhere in the scripture, zero. There is also nowhere in the scripture that says, you don't make me happy anymore. I, I feel like I fell out of love. We got married too young. That's not in the scripture, nowhere, zero. And the permission that God gives, I believe, for divorce is when there is what I would call abuse happening. There's an abuse of the covenant. I am, I, it is multiple, multiple, multiple habitual affairs. There is violence, the home is dangerous, the kids are not safe. You have become the target. She left, and I have no idea where she's at. She, she went and looked up her boyfriend on Facebook, and I haven't seen her in two months. What am I supposed to do? When divorce is permitted is when the covenant or the, the, the promise is broken down, and one or both parties have zero interest in reestablishing that covenant. That's when Moses gave permission. That's when Jesus, who's the most important one, gave permission and said, that is when divorce is allowed, when it happens in those ways, when there is no desire for reconciliation, when there is a habitual sin, when grace and forgiveness is demanded and presumed upon. Now, in the scripture, the conversation changes about divorce and we get into levels of permission. Okay. Now I want you to see something here. That is a long process. That, that has nothing to do with you made me mad, I'm done, it's over. It has everything to do with I have gone after his heart. It is also not a license. It's not that a husband messes up and a wife looks and says, good, you're gone, you blew it, bud. I kind of wanted out of this thing anyways or a wife has an emotional affair. Oh, you're gone, you're gone. I, found, I found my proof text in scripture. Woo, woo, I hit the exception. It's not that at all. If there has been infidelity, if there has been sin, if there has been addictions, if there has been, there is also a freedom to forgive and a freedom to restore. But there is, on the other side of that coin, there is this idea that is permission that says, no, 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 you do not have to live in an abusive situation. You do not have to live where the covenant is mocked again and again. You are not bound in that situation. There's not the freedom that I'm done with you because you don't make me happy anymore. And there's not the bondage of you're a Christian, you're not allowed to do anything different. And it's in that process that 
that permission is given. Now, this is where godly counsel comes in. There is no, I don't believe, there's any blanket statement in the scripture about divorce. You have to navigate it. You have to seek the Lord. You have to pursue the promise. You need godly counsel. Leaders, pastors, and sometimes a Christian counselor. You have to process all that through. And as a last resort, when there is nothing else that can be done, now the conversation changes. Now this is where I put in step number six. And I believe this is an important one too. Step number six is to play for time. Play for time. This is what happens, guys. Especially if you grew up in divorce and divorce is familiar to you. So your grandparents are divorced, your parents are divorced, now you get divorced. This is what happens. We jump to divorce too quickly. So, so when, when divorce is familiar, it seems like, and it, maybe it's been modeled for you, it's just the solution, right? I'm not happy, or she messed up, or he messed up, so the solution is get divorced. And, and we sometimes, that, that's where we start treating marriage like a, a breakup with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And we forget that it's this covenant. We'll, we'll go from A to Z very, very quickly and not slow down the process to actually discern and understand what's going on, what's possible, and what's impossible. I love what God says in Psalms 119, 105. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I love that passage. I wrote this in my notes. God does, does not often show us our destination. He usually shows us our next step. Your word is a lamp and a light. When I'm walking with God, he does not illuminate my life like the yellow brick road so I know exactly where I'm gonna land. He's a lamp, he gives me enough light and enough discernment to take the next step. And we're, when we're at a rocky place and difficult place in our marriage and, and you're looking and saying, I wonder if, does divorce need to come to the table? There, there may be a very legitimate reason for having that conversation, and I believe the scripture even allows it, but it needs to be a slow process. We need to slow it down and see if God can change and God can heal and God can help. If things are broken down, there's a lot of options before we go see the judge. There's the couch, there's the spare room, there's the basement, there's moving out, if the home is violent and dangerous, you need to get out of that situation immediately, right? I'm not saying stay in a dangerous situation. I'm not saying enable sin. I'm saying if we're gonna get divorced this month, we can probably get divorced in six months. Is there something that can happen in between? And when we slow things down and I respond to my spouse as I would respond to anyone as a follower of Jesus Christ, and I start to bear their burdens. I start to hear and confess their sins. I start to carry weight with them, see. Then over time, the certainty of divorce can clarify and the options to restore a marriage can clarify and giving things time is a big, big deal. Second Corinthians 4 for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us the eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transcendent, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We are leaning into the promise, the spiritual relationship. 
Is there times when that has to be broken? Yes. Does it have to be broken quickly? No. And if you are used to divorce, there are times that you jump there too quick, right? Fighting over what to order at Red Lobster is not grounds for divorce. It it popped up way too quick. A violent home, an unsafe home, a habitually unfaithful home, the conversation changes. It changes. And God, God gives a permission and a latitude in there, right? Now, here's the last thing. Last thing you want to do when your marriage is rocky and you're not sure where it's going to end is ask yourself this question, have I done all that I can do? Have I done all that I can do? Romans 12, 18, if it's possible on your part, live at peace with everyone. And what I say is sometimes it's not possible. And this is the last resort, the end of the line, it's another reason why you slow it down because if you go to the divorce too quickly, you can't answer that question. You, you'll look back and say, could I have done more? Did we need to get divorced? Well, if you don't slow it down, then you can't answer the question. But if you look and you say, I've done all that I can do. I leaned into the promise. I tried to, I tried to be different and be who I was called to be. I tried to communicate we, we, we took all this time, I brought in godly counsel, I listened, I worked on my issues, I asked them to work on theirs, I, I, I looked at the scripture, I drew the boundaries, I have done everything that I can do over time. The permission for divorce can be given as a last resort. When the other spouse will no longer communicate, when, when he had the affair, now he's got the girlfriend. And there's no hope of restoration. Uh, when, 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 you, when you look and say the habitual sin, I've forgiven and I've forgiven and I've forgiven and I've tried and I tried and I tried and he, he will not. She will not come home. She will not. Con- now we're at a place where you can look and, and you've got godly counsel and they're probably agreeing You've done everything that you can do, and it's a last resort, and this is where the permission that God gives comes in to play, right? So guys, when you're in these rocky times, these are are steps that you can take. We, We jump too quickly sometimes, and we need to slow things down and process it through. There also is not a place for false guilt, when you look and say, I tried and I tried and I tried and he would not and he left and am, am I free? Yes, you're free. There's a permission given. God does not command you to live in an abusive relationship, but you give it time and all those things clarify and it helps you to see and understand. When you think about this broadly, I look and I I believe that most divorces are unnecessary. I really do. I believe that most divorces are unnecessary. Uh, That we're not happy, we're out of love, uh, we don't have the same feelings we used to have. Well, well, welcome to life. I mean, it's kind of the way it works. And all of that can be wrestled with, it can be rekindled, sin can be overcome, pain can be healed. Most divorces are not necessary. Listen, some are. 
Some are. And the grace of God, the release of God, that, that's a freedom that you need to live in. If you are being harmed, if your home is violent, if the sin is habitual, in the scriptures, the conversation changes. All right? And just like we would lean into the scripture to keep us into a marriage, we need to lean into the scripture and say, am, am I at that end of the line place? I just don't know. And the grace and the freedom of God plays into all that, okay? Guys, when, when you talk about divorce, it, it, get, it gets real personal real quick, doesn't it? Because it shows up in our lives. I would, I would venture to say every one of us has been affected by divorce, right? And whether it's a friend or family or ourselves, and, and these questions linger like, what, what, am I in sin? Am I living an adulterous life because I'm divorced? Am I in sin? I, I wasn't a believer when I got divorced. Now I am now. And, and we, we were young, and that was the option we knew. And I never heard this stuff before, and I don't know what to do. And it, it winds up being a mess. So is God mad at you? This is what I would say. God's not out to get you. He loves you. And what I would say is you need to start walking with God from where you're at today. Where are you today? What are the godly principles that you can bring to bear today? What's the marriage that you're in today? How can you honor Christ in the marriage that you have today? The Bible speaks a lot of the grace of God, and the grace of God is something that we all live in. God's grace, it means God's unmerited favor, or my favorite p- definition is actually Pastor Ezra's definition. He, he, he always says grace is, is uh, God loves us just because, right? I love that definition. God loves you because he chose to love you. And we all live in the grace of God because we all are sinners. Divorce is not the only sin, and it's not the big one. We all sin, we all fall short of the glory of God, and we are all dependent on the mercy and the forgiveness and the grace of God. And the grace of God is something that you need to rest in today. So whether you're extending grace to someone or you need it for yourself, you bring that in, and it's the grace of God, the love of God, that allows us to start our walk with him where we're at. I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I, I got to thinking about an old hymn. And uh, the old hymn says this, it's called Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. Here's the words to it. Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. Listen to this, it's beautiful. Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the lamb was spilt. Listen to this, I'll hear this. Grace, grace, God's grace. Ready? Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin. Sin and despair like sea waves cold threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Dark is the stain we cannot hide. What can we do to wash it away? Look, There is a flowing crimson tide, brighter than snow you may be today. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace. 
grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin. That's what we have to rest in. That's what we're dependent upon. And that's what applies to your life. It's not what you did, it's where you're at. You can beat yourself up six ways to Tuesday about your life, or you can rest in the fact that God loved you while you were still a sinner, and He wants to forgive, and He wants to cleanse, and He wants to start anew. We start today. If you've been dating, and you've been dating in a godless way, you start today following Christ's principles. If you've been married and Christ is not the center point of your marriage right now, you start today elevating him to where he should be. If you've been divorced and you've been divorced five times and none of them were justified, you start today where God's grace affects you today. If you got divorced for all the right biblical reasons, it's a false guilt that you have and you start today following Christ. It's God's grace. He pardons, he cleanses, and we're all dependent upon it. God wants what you want. He wants you to be loved. He wants you to love freely. He wants you to have the security of marriage. He wants it to go for a lifetime. And God helps and empowers you along the way. That's why you can't do it if Christ isn't in the center point of it. And he wants you to have the joy and the security and the passion. He ordained marriage. It's not something the state of Ohio made up. God created marriage and God defines it. And God empowers it and he'll help you with it. All right, here's the questions, first one, ready? You work in a contract or you work in a promise? It's a promise, it's not a deal that you made. It's a promise that you made to God and you promised to love his son or love his daughter for him, so to say. You work in a promise or you work in a contract, second, are you taking steps as if you're in a difficult relationship? Don't just jump to divorce. Don't jump to divorce. Slow down, work it through, look at yourself, let God change you. There's a whole bunch of room between we're not happy and we're breaking up. So you're letting God have freedom, are you inviting him into that process? Here's the third question, ready? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? If you believe that, if God is the God of the resurrection, he can resurrect your marriage if you believe in the power of God to raise, if you believe in Easter, then you can believe for your marriage that God can work that way too. It takes two. 
hear me, takes two. But if there's a husband who is committed to being the person that God wants to transform him into, and there's a wife who's committed to being the person God wants to transform them into, then there is a marriage that God can resurrect. I believe that so deeply. I'm looking, I'm looking at this room right now. I, if you don't believe that, see me, I will introduce you to people sitting here right now that God has done that for. I've seen it again and again and again. And they will tell you that it can be done. Don't jump to the breaking of the promise. The reason God hates divorce is because it hurts you so deeply. It's miserable, and anybody who's ever gone through it knows that. But there's a God who loves, and there's a God who's powerful, and he will help you in marriage, and if you're married to someone who will not respond to God, he will even help you as you go through a divorce. But lean into him. If he can raise himself from the dead, he can resurrect your life, all right? All right. Band's gonna come out, and they're gonna create a little space for us to think and to pray. I encourage you to do that. Just be with God a little bit. Ask him to show you things about it yourself. Ask him to breathe life and help into your marriage. Ask him to release you from the false guilt of a divorce. And ask him to, to start leading you today forward. Jesus, we love you. Help us, show us, God. God, bring your power into our lives. And Lord, marriage is a big deal. That's why we care so much about it. You've seeded it into our hearts. It's a spiritual thing. So God, help us to love each other well, to submit to each other thoroughly, and to make you the focal point of who we are and what we do. God, meet everyone where they're at at this moment. And bring your grace to the forefront of their lives and their hearts and their minds. And God, uh, minister to them in a unique and deep way. Help us with that now, Jesus, in your name.